welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're talking about your biological age. Specifically, we're talking about your immune age, and we're doing that by looking at a really interesting molecule on your blood cells called a glycan. My guest today is Dr. Gordon Lauk. He is the world-leading expert on this very subject. He's published over 100 research papers, published in international journals, and he is the holder of six patents. This man knows of what he speaks. The cool thing about your glycan age is that it is very reflective of inflammation in your body, and it can be reversed relatively quickly with some lifestyle changes. So this is a really interesting topic. We're always interested in our biological age. Are we aging faster or more slowly? So this episode holds one of the keys to making sure that we slow down our aging. If you want to learn more about glycans and the test, then you can go to glycanage.com. If you decide that you want to buy the test, you can use the link bit.ly forward slash nat 15 glycan and discount code superhuman 2020. This obviously will be in the show notes below. So you don't have to scramble to write it down here. And you know where to find me, natnidham.com. And if you love this episode and you get value from it and you know people, other people who will, then by all means, please share it out with your friends, your networks, whatever it is. So now, without further ado, we're going to have a quick word from our sponsor and get right into the show. Hey folks, quick word from our sponsor, Berkeley Life Professional. If you've been listening for a while, you've probably heard me talk about nitric oxide, a vital molecule made naturally in the body, responsible for vasodilation and circulation. But as we produce less of it as we age, resulting in diminished blood flow, I, along with many of my listeners, have been supporting our nitric oxide levels with an easy daily dietary nitrate supplement called Berkeley Life. But did you know that nitric oxide also has topical impacts? Berkeley Life's new topical nitric oxide serum combines vitamin C and nitrite to create nitric oxide gas directly on the skin. I get a beautiful blush for about five or 10 minutes as the serum goes to work on my skin's microvasculature without any kind of burning or tingling sensation. I'm now using the serum daily alongside my Berkeley Life supplement. As the biggest organ in my body, I know my skin is thanking me for the improved delivery of oxygen and nutrients being delivered through my circulatory system, thanks to nitric oxide. Berkeley Life is available only through health practitioners. So you can access Berkeley Life products at berkeleylife.com and use my practitioner code NIDDBL to place your order and get 10% off that first order. Once again, berkeleylife.com. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. Welcome, Dr. Laos, to the podcast. It is such a pleasure to meet you today. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, well, the honor is mine. So as people know, we're going to be talking about glycans today and the glycanage test as a measure of well, I mean, as a measure of biological aging, but I find the term biological aging actually really interesting. So I'd love to talk to you about that at some point. But before we do that, why glycans? <laughs> what, what drove you 
you know, I mean, you've, you've been at this game for a while now. What lay you down this particular path of glycans that is so specific? So I started working on glycans actually 30 years ago. So it's very hard to be specific why exactly I started it. But I remember once when I was doing my PhD, my boss came to me with a very brand new diagnostic uh, kit for glycans. Say, let's, let's look at glycans. You know, this is something very new and fancy 30 years ago. Then when I started looking at glycans, I noticed something what we know now, and this is that the glycans are everywhere. They're involved in all biological processes, and majority of people ignore them. So there's nothing so special about glycans. You know, they're genes, they're proteins, they're lipids, and they're glycans. And they're one of the four key components of life. But what is special about glycans is that so many people ignore them. And this is why I keep pushing everybody to look at glycans because they're just part of the big picture, which is missing. Mm -hmm. And what we are trying in my lab, and my lab is, is the largest in the world for glycan profiling, we try to add this glycan information to everything else what people are doing, including right. aging and biological age. Yeah, okay. And so what are glycans? Because, you know, people say, well, oh, they're sugar molecules. Well, what does that mean? So chemically, they're carbohydrates. Yeah. But in evolution, they, they got the role of modifying protein function. Okay. And we know proteins are directly encoded in a gene. And the E. coli has 5,000 genes. We okay. have around 20,000 genes. And we are, not only, we are not only four times more complicated than the simple bacteria. No. We are thousands or millions of time more complicated. And one of the ways how we became so complicated was by regulating genes through epigenetics and by modulating proteins with the different post-translational modifications like a phosphorylation, but the most diverse one is glycosylation. So I usually make an analogy like, you know, proteins are molecular robots. And the, the polypeptide part is just the simplest version of it. So if you think about a car, polypeptide would have uh, one seat and a wheel and, and uh, wheels and uh, the steering wheel and an engine. This would be a polypeptide. If you want to have anything else, like the... The, the windshield, the, the windows, the, the rear view mirrors, the, the air conditioning, uh, anything else. Yeah. Anything. A a any, any fine tuning, these would be the glycans. So glycans regulate, do the fine tuning of nearly all proteins. For example, if we talk about antibodies, immunoglobulins, which are our main weapon to fight all the foreign invaders. Uh, antibodies, when they're made, they do not know what will the invader be. And the invader could be a virus, could be a bacteria, or could be the food we are eating. Correct. Yeah. And depending on what foreign molecules come into your body, you have to have a very different reaction. To viruses, we will, you will activate one branch of the immune system. To bacteria, it will be a different branch. And to food, you just want to ignore it. And the decision what to do with your antibodies 
is largely done by glycans. So by putting different glycans, you direct antibodies in a different direction. And this is the case for many different proteins. So the glycosylation happens of the immune cells at what stage? Later on or when it like, so I guess you have an immature, you have, a, you have an immune cell that's non-specific, And then does the glycosylation happen at the time of need infection or does it happen further down the process? It happens. So it can change. Okay. So through time, the same polypeptide part of antibody yeah. can get a different glycosylation as the immune system makes a decision. So the, B, the clone of B cells, which you produce in specific antibodies, can get different signals and then change glycosylation. And actually recently we even learned that even after the antibody is produced and secreted from the B cell, when it's circulating in, a, in, in the body, again, you can change its glycosylation if you get a signal that the glycosylation should be modified. That's because the, the, yeah, so it's, a, this is really an, an addition to the basic gene makes a protein. And then there is this fine tuning of glycans which for which we have a number of strong policy documents, both in Europe and US, saying that glycans are important in all major diseases. And we have to include glycans to actually understand what is going on. You know, even blood groups are glycans. Yeah. ABO blood groups, chemically, they're glycans. So many things are glycans, just people didn't have analytical capacity to look at individual structures. This, these tools we have for maybe 15 to 20 years, no more. Mm. Okay. That's so interesting. That's such a, that's such an elegant sophistication to the system, right? To the immune system that it can then modify on the fly. It's, I feel like there's so little that people understand and, and we don't, we don't appreciate it sometimes, you know, people think of it very linearly and it's so much more sophisticated. So the glycanage test is an, is a way to interpret the, the glycans on the on the IgG molecule, right? The glycanase test is actually the ultimate simplification of the IgG glycom composition. IgG glycom, glycans and immunoglobulins do many different roles. And one of the things we learned is that they also change with age. And uh, we did over 100,000 people. We analyzed immunoglobulin glycans in over 100,000 people in different diseases, in different epidemiological cohorts. And we realized that both the, our scientists, the colleagues that we were working with, and especially the, 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 the common people, they have really troubles understanding individual glycan structures. So this is not something which is, um, you know, you can go to a person and say, oh, this is corfucose, this is bisecting glucnac, or this is galactose. They, they <laughs> you just understand. changed languages on us, yes. Yes. So then we said, okay, what is the the best way to kind of simplify information for people. And this is how the glycan age was born. We learned that glycans change a lot with age and they strongly correlate with age. And actually the glycan age clock was published on the very same day when the Steve published his epigenetic clock on, uh, on the, the Horvath clock. Yeah. 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 It was on, uh, I think December 10th when, 13, nine years ago, a little more than nine years ago. But since glycans are not so easy to, to analyze, not so many people 
looked at it. So now many more people know about the, the epigenetic age than the glycan age. And when we published the glycan age, we noticed that the average difference, median difference between the glycan age and chronological age is nine years. While in, in the large cohorts for epigenetic aging, it would be only approximately a year. Mm-hmm. And this is actually actually advantage of the glycan age compared to, to, to epigenetic age, because the, the difference between the chronological age and the glycan age is lifestyle. Because, you know, whatever you do in your life, your epigenetic age will go in a very similar way. You can lose 20 kilos and epigenetic age will not change much. Right. If you lose excess weight, your glycan age will improve. If you decrease the level of stress, your glycan age will improve. So glycan age is something which is defined partly by genes. Of course, there's always a genetic component, maybe around 30% is genetic. By your chronological age, Mm -hmm. this is a strong factor but also with your lifestyle. So what we learned by looking into so many people is that people who live healthier have a lower glycan age than people who live an unhealthy lifestyle. And what is even more important, people who will develop different diseases linked to inflammation, so all the cardiometabolic diseases, inflammatory diseases, they nearly always, but or at least they strongly correlate with increased glycan age. Is it at the time of the disease development or does it show up earlier? I thought I read somewhere that so in, the glycan starts, because we talk about disease develops over years and decades. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't become diabetic. So these type of studies is extremely, are extremely difficult to do, sure. to have samples of people before they got ill. Yeah. So for now, we know that in uh, arthritis, in, uh, in inflammatory bowel disease, in cardiovascular diseases, and in diabetes, glycans change before the disease is diagnosed. So I don't know for other diseases because we did not look. Okay. But what we know, we know that glycans are not only biomarkers, they're molecules which regulate low-grade chronic inflammation. Okay. And even in, in, in one example, it was actually on an anim, animal model, but we were able to prevent or to say protect uh, obese mice from hypertension by improving glycans. So we had mice, if you put mice on a high-fat diet, they become obese, they develop hypertension. And if you feed mice with a dietary supplement, which can improve IgG glycosylation, make them younger. Uh, They do become obese, but they do not develop hypertension. This was published in circulation two years ago. It was a really large study together with the colleagues at UT Southwestern. So we know that at least for cardiovascular diseases and for inflammation, if you improve glycans, you will decrease the risk of disease. You will decrease inflammation. So what we believe is that glycans are not only biomarkers, they're very early on the path to disease because, you know, disease is an endpoint. This mm-hmm. is not something which happens in a day. No. It, disease 
is a moment when we feel that something is wrong. We ask for help and then we got a name. And the names of diseases are, are historical. Mm-hmm. They're based on some studies done 100 years ago when a physician noticed a symptom on a specific location and gave it a name, uh, arthritis. It's inflammation in the joints or yeah. Crohn's disease, inflammation in, in, in the gut. While molecular mechanisms leading to them are often very similar. And we believe these glycans attached to Ig are one of the molecular mechanisms. So indeed, you can see these changes up to a decade wow. before people become ill. And what we hope is that by improving glycans, you can actually postpone disease development. Right. Because one of the biggest problems we have, everybody has, is that we more or less know what is healthy, mm-hmm. but we don't do it. Mm-hmm. We don't do it because it is difficult. It's difficult yeah. to exercise. It's, it's difficult to skip that extra cookie which is in front of you. Mm-hmm. It's difficult not to be under stress. And we always think, you know, I'll take care of that tomorrow. Yes, or that's tomorrow. human nature. Yeah. Next Monday. Yeah. And because the, 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 the feedback comes in 10, 20, 30 years, diseases will develop in 20 years because of what we are doing today, but we don't see that. And then we are not motivated to change. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways we try to position glycan age is that this is giving you information, insight of what is going on on a molecular level. And contrary to some other aging clocks, this is not only a biomarker, which nobody knows what it actually does. Mm -hmm. It's, It's a molecule for which we know that it is causing the damage. And if you improve glycanage, you know that you have decreased low-grade chronic inflammation. And we know that low-grade chronic inflammation is causing diseases. And you don't have to wait for 20 years to see that. You can wait for a couple of months, do another test and see whether what you are trying is working or not. Yeah, that's fascinating. I want to go back to the mouse study quickly, just because you said the mice were obese and you gave them something to improve the glycans. They remained obese, but they didn't develop hypertension. What did you give them? It was N-acetylmanosamine. It's a pre-manosamine. It's not commercially available. Okay. There was only one small trial on NIH on uh, humans, and it is safe. Humans can take it. Uh, The problem is that the cost at the moment is prohibitive of any human clinical trial. You know, for mice, you can buy enough to feed the mouse. But yeah. you cannot cannot buy enough of this supplement to to have a trial on human. I hope with time this will change, because it's very similar molecule to N-acetylglucosamine, which is available everywhere for a reasonable price. Yeah, so yeah. this is N-acetylglucosamine, and the other one is N-acetylmanosamine. Right, and N-acetylmanosamine right, right. is a precursor for salic acid which is one of these glycans, which one of these carbohydrates, which makes glycans on IgG younger. Right. So at the moment, there is nothing we could do. I would be the first one to try it, but <laughs> it's, not, it's not available. 
and eventually it will become. But the alternative is for people who don't have access to this molecule is to address the obesity, which itself will address the glycan. Yes, this is something that we have very clearly shown. And for example, if people undergo bariatric surgery, which is drastic, but it's also reducing weight for 20, 30 kilos. We had a patient who got 35 years younger in six months. Just from, so, which is interesting just, because- Just by removing, yeah. by not be heavy, be, being obese anymore. Of, yeah. co of course, not everybody improved that much, but we also did another interesting study. We were looking at twins together with the Tim Spector in uh, King's College London, 2000 twins in three time points over 15 to 20 years. So he was sampling them every seven to eight years. We had three, 2,000 of them in three time points. And, and during this follow-up time, some of the twins were gaining weight, some of the twins had the same weight, and some of the twins were losing weight. And those who were actually gaining weight, they were aging much faster than those who were not gaining weight. And those who were losing weight were sometimes even going in the opposite direction. So definitely uh, obesity is one of the main drivers behind the inflammation in general, but also this um, IgG glycosylation, which is promoting well, which is the well, and which is interesting, right? And I, I was reading one of the papers, and I, you know, they were talking about BMI, and I'm like, oh, BMI is such bunk, right? Because it doesn't distinguish between the power lifter and the obese person. But then, in later on, they talk about well, what we really looked at was hip to waist ratio, and and okay. I think it was waist to height ratio, which now is looking for central adiposity, and that's where. And in the end, I think what they were talking about is it's that gut fat that really is the driver. Yeah. And we know that it's the driver of inflammation and that's yes. the one that it impacts. Yeah, I, I agree completely. So comparing the BMI between different people, it's meaningless. Yeah. But looking at just the weight or the BMI of the same individual, right? it's very informative because very rarely will somebody build up 10, 15 kilos of muscles in their middle age. This right. happens very rarely. Yeah, so if it you happens, see, but, no, it's not common. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it's very rarely. So maybe among two thousand people, you will have maybe one or two who did something like that. Sure. So when you and this is why in our research we are more and more trying to move away from cross-sectional studies, where we are comparing different people, into the longitudinal in intervention studies, mm -hmm. where we are looking at changes within a person. Yeah. Because we are all very different. There is no standard human. For example, we did a trial of 1,000 people on five different diets for a year. I so we were, tracking, yeah. we were tracking people for, for a year on five different diets. And on, so initially they had a low-calorie diet. So mm -hmm. they had just a low-calorie, and then they were put on one of the five different diets. So when they were on a low-calorie diet, glycans improved for all of them. So weight loss universally works. But when they were put on a different diets, on each of the diets, even, even the, the high glycemic index diet, some of the people got better and some of the people got worse. Interesting. And, and also I know we now, many people now use those continuous glucose monitors. Mm -hmm. And we know that there are some people 
will not have a glucose spikes even after a cake. Yeah. You know, eat a cake and there is no glucose spike. While the other people, their glucose would explode. Yeah. So we are all different. We cannot give a universal advice to anybody because there is no standard human. That thing does not exist. It's an average of all of us. And with, with the idea of, of glycanage is that you can try something and see whether it works for you. Yeah, no, I, I think that application alone of glycanage is brilliant because that, you know, as I, I started off as a nutritionist and, you know, after a while I was like, okay, like there's no, there's, <laughs> there's no straight answer. I've always believed that it's a personalized diet and we can look at genetics for some guidance, but even then it's not, it's not exact, but the idea that you can change your diet and commit to it. And what I love about the glycans or what I've seen is it doesn't, you don't have to wait a year to see the results. Like I believe it's within three months or so you can start to see a shift in the response of the glycans to a specific diet. Is that true? Or did I misread that? It depends what you do. Okay. So, uh, because we measure glycans and immunoglobulins, immunoglobulins have a half-life of approximately three weeks. Okay. So it does take some time for these molecules to change. Sure. And for example, if there is a kind of a drug intervention, if you introduce um, hormones, then things can change relatively quickly because immediately you have changed conditions. If you just change a diet, then it will take a couple of weeks for conditions in the body to change yep. to start producing the new uh, molecules. So for diet, we usually have to wait three or four months to see an effect. Yeah. And for um, for some very acute things, it could be a matter of weeks. Mm-hmm. But yes, for, for kind of a reasonable interventions, which people do because they decide to do it, it would be three to four weeks, three to four months, and then you see the first effects. And then you do additional three to four months, and then you are sure that it goes in, in one of the directions. So, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, for again, like in coaching people, that's a much easier sell than we have to wait a year, right? Like, no, I think three months, like, do this for three months. I promise you, all the foods you've, you know, you're eating new foods now, there's foods you're not eating, all those foods will still be there. <laughs> Like, yep, no yep, fear. I agree. They will still be there in three months. But for, for, for people to get that feedback, that very direct feedback that says what you've done, it, and, and like, you know, I see this like with the keto diet, like people are so emotionally invested. They, it, becomes a, it becomes a philosophy. It becomes emotional more than anything. And even though they're more inflamed and they're a bit more fat, they're beating themselves up. I think I'm not doing it right. To have this very meaningful metric in a, in a comparatively reasonable amount of time. And then it encourages them to either keep going or we try something new. We have very good experience with some of the anti-aging clinics all around the world where patients are becoming really younger in, in a couple of months on therapy. And then everybody is happy. Yeah, You know, the, the doctor is happy because the patient is happy and the patient <laughs> is happy because things are improving. What we have problem with is that, you know, in this field of anti-aging and nutrition, there are so many people selling snake oil. Yeah. And sure. 
they are not happy because they can't you, make everybody well, happy all the time. <laughs> so the, the, this is the so I think you know this is one of the ways to distinguish um, whether what you are doing is actually helping people mm-hmm. or you're just trying to take their money and 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 pretend that you're actually doing something. Yeah. And this is particularly um, the sensitive field for us was um, uh, gyms. Sorry, because gyms? They're gym, gyms, different gyms, yeah, yeah. Um, physical activity, because so many of them actually overtrain people. Sure. Especially if, if we go in, um, in a population of middle-aged people. Yeah. So people in their, I don't know, 40s or 50s, they decide mm-hmm. to become physically active because they start thinking about it and then go to gym and virtually kill themselves in a gym. Yeah. With a personal yeah, yeah. trainer who is pushing them over the limit and, and they all get worse. Sure. Because too much physical exercise is, is pro-inflammatory. Sure. It, it's not good because, uh, you know, just think about the professional athletes. They're old in their early 30s. Absolutely. You know, say, you know, this guy is old. He's 34. Come on. These are still babies in their 30s. But I love that you say that because people look at competitive athletes as these paragons of health. And frankly, most of the time, they're like a house on fire. I mean, they're physically fit. They're incredibly gifted. They work so hard. But I think even in the um, when you look at the Horvath clock, very often these people are aging way faster than anybody else. It's 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 just consuming the body. Our you know a body is a limited resource. You cannot uh, do unlimited uh, training, and it's okay. You know if you are kind of a top professional athlete, and then you make many millions in the first decade, and then you can go and easily live easy life and repair all the damage. Yeah. But you know if if you are just a middle aged average guy who tries to be a little bit healthier then you have to have a reasonable uh, coach which will balance physical activity with, uh, with relaxation, with stretching, with everything else which is needed to keep your body healthy. And this is where we had a lot of problems with Lycanage because um, all of these guys are actually convinced that everybody will be better if they just push them strong enough. And, and they were actually getting worse. Yeah, I think you'd 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 have a really good time in a CrossFit gym. <laughs> I don't I don't know if you've looked at looked at any CrossFit gyms, but you know, I gave up on CrossFit when I just realized, you know what, all I'm doing is spending a lot of money with my chiropractor and not nothing against CrossFit. It's a beautiful community. It's it's a great workout. It makes you feel good, but very often it just breaks you. And, um, and it drives up that inflammation. I remember going to my doctor once and getting just regular blood work done. And she looked at my, my, um, high sensitivity CRP. She goes, Oh my God, Matt, it's off the charts. Oh, but you're doing those crazy workouts, right? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like yep, I agree. and so she just kind of went, all right. But I've learned that for me, it's, I need a day of recovery between each hard workout. And if I give myself that day and I do smart things, like whether it's red light or sauna or I, whatever yoga, whatever, then I don't get injured. And for me, that's my feedback. If I, if I'm injury free, then I'm doing something right. So again, I mean, like the magic of these glycans is how we can influence them and the feedback that we get from them. Like I, to me, like that's just, 
it's kind of, it's an amazing thing. Now, have you looked at them also, and you maybe you have, but there's just so many, have you looked at glycans in response to some of these longevity supplements that people are selling? And I, I believe this is where you're talking a little bit about snake oil, right? Like, yeah, no, uh, I'm, I'm extremely cautious in that uh, respect because we have, um, I call it the nightmare story with uh, statins. Oh, interesting. So we we did a large cohort of people mm-hmm. on and not on statins, and we saw a very strong effect of statins. Then we looked for another large cohort, and then perfectly replicated what we have seen. And we have nearly published a paper saying that the statins strongly affect IgG glycosylation. But then we got a cohort from a proper a placebo-controlled randomized trial. And then the effect of statins was zero. In terms statins of affecting glycanage? On glycans. They do not affect the glycans. So all. we have two large cohorts, maybe over 5,000 people, showing there is a very strong correlation between people taking statins and changes in glycans. And then on a randomized placebo-controlled trial, we found that statins do not have any effect. What, what was caused of that is that people were given statins because of their health conditions. Mm-hmm. So the, the results we got was actually confounded by the reason mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. take statins. So whenever people start taking any supplement, in particular, if this is a very expensive, fancy new supplement, in addition to taking a supplement, they will also start thinking more what they eat, thinking right. more about their exercise, and maybe it will be something else, right. which is actually changing glycans, not a supplement. So we have done a couple of trials, even some completely crazy trials, <laughs> showing that some things which, which simply cannot work. Now, there's no biological logic they could work, and they seemed to work. But then when we dig the deeper, Okay, did you do anything else besides taking it? Oh, yeah, I was checking my diet. I was exercising regularly. So to have any, any really reliable data on all those supplements, we need a placebo-controlled trial. Right, right. And this is not easy to organize. No. So this is why I'm very cautious in, in uh, no. making any claims. Yes, we have seen people improve on various different supplements, but whether this is, uh, I don't know, NMN or rapamycin or whatever, we cannot claim at the moment. Right, right. Because we need to do a proper science b- before we're able to say it. Got it. No, that makes total sense. And then, I mean, it's the beauty, it's the, it's the beauty and the curse of the glycans, right? They're so influenceable by lifestyle changes that, yes. that anything, right? So, so the top lifestyle changes, just to review right now is changing your nutrition. And I've, I mean, improving it is going to for sure do better. And I, I think, you know what, in preparing for this, I listened to one of another podcast that, that your daughter recorded with someone with, I think it was Boomer Anderson. And they talk about a group of, I think they were software engineers where they measured their glycans. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because it's a really fun study. It's as close to a controlled intervention as you can get because they were so bad. (laughs) I'm laughing because this was actually 
this was uh, my son's company. Oh, you're Nikolina's kidding. Nikolina's <laughs> brother company. He, he has an IT company, maybe 20 people there. And uh, all young people, all these crazy uh, computer geeks living unhealthy life. And they were horrible. Yeah. They were all horrible. And, and nowadays, now, you know, they have a fresh fruit and vegetable delivery in a company regularly uh. from the local farms and so on. <laughs> and they actually, you know, they got better because, you know, I, I'm, well, I'm 51, so I'm already a little bit old. So I treat everybody below 30 as kids because yeah. they're younger than my kids. But even those kids can have very unhealthy life and have very unhealthy life habits. Yeah. So we see these effects in glycans, even, even, even in young children, the unhealthy life. Primarily, it's obesity mm-hmm. and all the, all the junk food which, which people eat. And I think the junk food primarily works through the microbiome. Yeah. Because the problem with the junk food is it's all full of um, different preservatives, which make it last forever. And it makes them last forever because they kill bacteria. Yeah. And when you eat that, then you kill bacteria in your gut. And we need our microbiome to, to remain healthy. So by eating all this ultra-processed food, it's not that the food is doing the damage. You know, if it's a carbohydrate, it's a carbohydrate. But all these uh, additives which are being added to keep it on a shelf for a long time. And, and, and that's the primarily American problem. In US, you have so much of these uh, ultra processed food, which people eat. Europe doesn't eat that much uh, yeah. junk. And then you kill your bacteria. And when you don't have your bacteria, then you have also more inflammation in, in the gut and it's changing your glycans. So yes, this, this was interesting story. Kids, software engineers, all being horrible improving diet, everybody getting better. Yeah. Well, and when you say horrible, I'll just quickly tell the listeners what horrible was. And these guys were really, like, they were really pushing it, right? It was, I think she said it was cereal for breakfast, cereal for lunch, and then beer for like with dinner every day. And it was a culture. And then they would make this thing called a salad, which was chips and popcorn and leftover takeout. Like they lived on takeout cereal and beer, basically. But what was amazing is, you know, I guess you brought in a nutritionist thinking, you know, my son's too young to die. I need to help him. <laughs> and, and they were open to the change. And then, and this is, and to me, like, this is a big, this is such an amazing thing about this test, because even though it's not like they went from that crazy, horrible diet to a perfect you know, angel singing diet, they just made some improvements, right? They added some fruit, they added a little vegetable, maybe they took away a couple of the worst offenders, and they all saw an improvement. And to this day, as you say, they're still getting the, you know, it, it gave them the encouragement to make the improvements and to kind of keep them. I'm sure they still drink but beer and was, eat cereal. <laughs> yeah. and it, but it was not me. No. no, my son, my son and those kids would not listen to me. Of I'm course old. not. Yeah, yeah. It was it was Nicolina, who yeah. is the, the, the big sister who persuaded them to change. So it's the thing is, you know, young people don't listen to old people and everybody older more than 10 years than you. You're, they're old. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it came from their generation saying, you know, I have this cool test which we are doing. Let's see how you uh look like oh guys you're all horrible what could be the reason oh gosh this is what you eat 
and then right, yeah, right. What you said. Yeah. Anyway, I just think that's a great story because it it just it gives a really good snapshot. It also makes the case to your point that you don't have to. It's not only 40, 50, 60, 70 year olds. We you can even be creating a metabolic disaster in your twenties or even younger mm -hmm. than that. And you know, and again, like mentioning the microbiome is so is another really interesting because the microbiome is another, it's like another galaxy, right? We know nope. this much about it. We have a sense of what makes it better. We have a sense of what really makes it bad, but we don't exactly like it's, you know, it's like the diet. There's no perfect microbiome. We don't know what it really takes. We don't know what that unicorn microbiome is, but that the microbiome should have an influence on the glycans as well is another arrow in the direction of how important these compounds are. It's actually bidirectional communication because, right. yeah. you know, we evolved together with our microbes. Mm -hmm. So uh, people in the lab tried to make, um, make a mouse without any microbes in the gut. They don't survive. They die. Yeah. So we cannot live without microbes in our, our guts because we evolved with them. Yeah. And um, the problem is what happened with the modern diet. First, all these preservatives. But the second thing is we eat all the time. Yeah, this was stop. not normal. <laughs> this, this, this never happened before. Yeah. And when we eat all the time, when I say never happened meant in evolution. Yeah. And um, when we eat all the time, then our guts are always filled with, with this soup of nutrients. And then all the aggressive bacteria can compete. And only though the only thing these bacteria need to do is to multiply and, and kill other bacteria. And, and we cause so many different problems by just having all this food in our guts mm -hmm. all the time. While when there is no food in our guts, bacteria, which we like, they're actually grazing on glycans on our uh, epithelia, this uh, mucosal barrier, yeah. this glycocalyx. This is actually the food for our microbes, right. which we presented. So in a way, we domesticated uh, uh, cattle and the sheep and the chicken and whatever, and we feed them. So they give us back the benefit. In the same way, we domesticated some of the bacteria. Right. We feed them with our gut glycom. But they have advantage only when there is no food in, in our guts. So this intermittent fasting, one of the ways how intermittent fasting works is you just get everything out. So these bad guys who are just the aggressive bully bacteria, yeah. they don't have a competitive edge. And these good domesticated bacteria with just little grazing on our glycom, they thrive. And then they protect us from a bad bacteria. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's such a powerful point. And so have you, have you done a study on, on people who fast and people who don't fast, or is it again, one of those ones where there's so many confounders that it's. Uh, we, so we don't have a, the intermittent fasting diet. We don't have that, mm -hmm. but we have a studies of a microbiome transplant. There oh. is a fecal microbiome transplant uh, studies. And we did a couple of them. And if you change your microbes by microbiome transplant, then yes, also your glycans will change. Huh. So we can see improvement in the glycom by improving the, the, the microbiome. 
Quick word from our sponsor, Newtopia. If you're a biohacker who's looking for the newest cutting edge products to push your brain and body to the outer limits of what's possible, or a wellness enthusiast who just wants to feel yourself, then you need to stop what you're doing and check out Newtopia, the most powerful bespoke nootropics on the market today. These nootropic stacks are taking the industry by storm because they're safe, legal, and highly effective. Even better, every formula is customized for you based on your strengths, weaknesses, and goals, and formulated by the most advanced brain chemist and nootropics formulator alive today so that you get exactly what you need. Taking the right formulas at the right times can help you focus intensely, block out distractions, reduce stress and anxiety, enhance your creativity, boost your memory, and so much more. Within just 15 to 30 minutes, you should begin to feel and notice the mental effects. And the best part, these formulas come with a full one-year guarantee, so there's zero risk to you to try them for yourself. So here's the deal. If you feel like you're not fully maximizing your potential, both personally and professionally, then you owe it to yourself to try Newtopia's formulas. They are a total game changer. I use them before every podcast. Just go to www.newtopia.com forward slash Bionat10 and use Bionat to receive 10% off any order. Once again, that's newtopia.com forward slash Bionat10. Okay, so, uh, you know, I know we want to kind of stay within an hour and there's one other very big topic that I want to make sure we touch on and that's hormones because that, you know, the, the, the role of estrogens and I think it's estradiol in, in particular in people's aging process or on their glycans is really amazing and it doesn't just affect women, it affects men as well. We did a number of studies in that direction. So initially we did a proper placebo-controlled randomized trial of sex hormones. So uh, there was a group of young men and women where their gonadal hormones were chemically blocked. So they got an injection for the induction of a complete blockade of the gonadal hormones. So within a month, they came to the postmenopausal level for women and no testosterone for men. And then part of the group received the hormone supplementation. They had the estrogen patch. The other half had the placebo. And the same for men, either testosterone or uh, placebo. A little bit more complicated, I come back to that. And a woman who were, de- their estrogen was depleted. They aged on average um, 30%. So approximately nine years yeah. in six months. Yeah. So really rapid glycogen ch- ch- aging. While those who had the estrogen replacement, they did not. So they stayed on the normal level. Once this uh, chemical blockade of the normal gonadal hormones washed out, they all returned to the normal level. So we showed on a very exact randomized placebo controlled um, uh, trial that estrogen regulates IgG glycogen. And we had also another large study of, let me say the men also. So for men, the supplementation was testosterone. So if you get rid of testosterone, you get older. If you give back testosterone, you do not get older. But interestingly, if you use aromatase inhibitors, yes. so those molecules which prevent conversion of testosterone to estrogen, and many people do that because they want to have high testosterone. Yeah. If you block aromatase, then your glycanage goes up. It's actually estrogen yeah. in men which is also controlling the glycosylation. So 
yes, you give testosterone to men, but you have to allow it to convert to estrogen. Or at least some, yeah. At least some, yeah. yeah. Not Well, it, it's a biological process. You just don't block it. Yeah. And then it's okay. And so the second the study we did, we published it recently, actually a little bit earlier this year, we had 2,000 twins followed for 15 to 20 years in three time points. And many of them in this period went through perimenopause and entered menopause. So we had women in three time points, regular cycle, regular cycle, menopause, or regular cycle, menopause, regular cycle. So we always had a period of perimenopause, so the period when the transition happened, and either period before or after. When I say period, I mean a time frame. So yes, in the yes. time frame when when women converted from the regular cycle to menopause, the aging was several times faster than than in either of the other ends. So around the 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 the, the perimenopause period, there is a rapid aging of women and. We've seen, uh, I call them horror stories of young women having perfect glycan age in their, so they would be in their early 40s, glycan age would be in the 20s, early 30s, and then immediately they exploded for 10, 15, 20 years. And they would freak out, of course, because you know, what, what, what happened? Why, why, why am I aging so rapidly? I was so good and now I'm old. And it was actually estrogen depletion. But the problem with the perimenopause period is that uh, estrogen go up and down like crazy. Yeah. It can be very high for a short period and go very low and so on. So if you just measure it, you would have to measure it day by day for weeks mm-hmm. to see what is actually changing. And, and the glycan age is actually the early indicator that something is going on. Mm-hmm. Because if you remember, I mentioned that the glycan age is based on a glycans in globulin G, which has a half-life of three weeks. Right. So it is actually integrating estrogen concentration in the last few weeks. Yeah. So by measuring glycans on IgG, you will see the average hormone concentration in the last few weeks. So it's a short period. It's a short window of time, really, that you're looking at. It's actually, it's a long window of time. Because if you take hormone level, it's just today. In that moment. Yeah, for sure. If you take glycans, it's a hormone levels in the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like kind of a repeated measuring of the hormones. And then we see very quickly when this level starts going down, mm-hmm. you can't see it with the hormones. It's going up and down. But on the glycans, you see. And when women get their hormones back, if they take HRT, then the glycanage goes back again. So... This is still not being used routinely in the clinics because, of course, this is not a diagnostic test. Yeah. For something to become a diagnostic test, it, it takes a lot of, uh, lot of studies, a lot of uh, validation, accreditation, and so on. But good the good thing is that the glycan age is on the market as a, as a lifestyle test. Yeah. In principle, you can do the test, send it to your menopause physician, and then they... Can give an interpretation and we are currently doing a couple of trials in europe to show how really predictive it is will it help us say you know um you still have a regular cycle but maybe your hormones are going down yeah can we supplement a bit a bit should we 
take it later. It's it, it, there. There are a lot of things we need to learn. Yeah. But definitely, this can be an early indicator what is going on because you know that um, one of the key problems of perimenopause is that you cannot diagnose it, mm-hmm. and the symptoms start to appear. So then women get diagnosed with a depression, fibromyalgia, or whatever. They yeah. get treated and they get completely wrongly treated because this is not the problem. Problem is hormone deficiency, which was not diagnosed. Gotcha. Yeah, no, for sure. Now, let me ask you a question. So for women, so perimenopause is, is the storm, right? And it, it, it's the storm. What happens for women when they get to menopause, they get through the storm, they get to the, this new place called menopause. And for the women who won't do BHRT for whatever reason, is that is that have you have you looked at or have you seen that rate of aging level off at all? So the rate of aging decreases, but they stay old. But they stay old. Okay, so there's no recovery. If they're not getting older, 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 but yeah. they are old. They get now, their 60, 70, 80 year glycan age. Women who take HRT, they can remain very young, very old. So recently we had an 80 year old woman who was 30 something. Wow. I want to be her. I mean, I'm 58 and 20. So yeah. And, th- and this is, you know, this is not only HRT. I, one of my neighbors, uh, actually my mother's neighbor, she's I think over 90. She's not taking hormones, but she's extremely fit, uh, agile. Uh, and, and she's something like 50. So that's a great example. I love that. Right. Because I think what it speaks to is it's to your point, it's not one thing. I mean, yeah, the hormones are a great, like the hormones are a great strategy, but if you're on the hormones and you're eating crap and you're exercising too much or too little, and you're not sleeping and your lifestyle is horrible, the chances are that the glycan age is not going to reflect. It, it's not just, it, it's multifactorial here, but the hormones give you a really nice step up if it's the right thing for you. No, we can see young women with a regular uh, hormone levels who can be very horrible because of yeah. other things. Yeah. So there are many factors which uh, are important and they can be very different in the different people. Yeah. So uh, there could be even women for whom there will be no effect of hormones or there will be, it will be very small, but it will be offset by I don't know, bad diet or whatever. Hey folks, I have something so exciting to tell you, and that is that the Women's Longevity and Resilience Retreat is happening again, and it is happening this November from the 9th to the 13th in Cabarete on the beach in the Dominican Republic, and it is shaping up to be just as awesome as the first one was in March. The response from the participants was just overwhelmingly amazing. We had such an amazing time hosting it. And so Dasha and I decided that we wouldn't wait a year for the second one. We would do one in the fall to get us ourselves and our participants ready for the winter, no matter what it brings. So if this sounds even of any interest to you, please go to my website, natnidham.com, go to the retreats tab at the top of the page, and you'll get a bunch of information there along with a link to book a free call with Dasha and I to see if this is right for you. So thank you so much and enjoy the rest of the episode. I have to ask you because I myself, I have my glycan age test that tells me I'm 20, which is amazing. And then I've got my, my Horvath clock test that tells me still I'm almost 10 years younger than my chronological age, which is still really good. Um, my telomere test is somewhere in that range, like the, my telomeres and, 
and DNA methylation kind of are pretty, they're within a year of each other. Then there's my immune age where they're looking at CD4, CD8, where I'm 32 or something. So what do we do with all these different tests? Like, do they overlap at all? Or, I mean, they're not conflicting exactly. They're just a little, everything's a little bit different. So first, biological age is, um, there's no definition of biological age. Okay. So we cannot say which is more accurate because mm-hmm. we don't know what is the real biological age. And each of these tests is measuring something else. Telomeres is a fantastic test at the cellular level, at the level of individual cell. But it depends which kind of tissue you look into yourself, you'll get a very different telomeres. So, and also depending on the composition of the blood cells at a given moment, which can change because of many reasons, it can change a lot. Epigenetics, uh, you know, uh, original Steve Clocks with uh, 353 CPG sites was uh, calibrated based on chronological age. Now there are many different epigenetic tests, which each is looking at different CPG sites. And we cannot directly assume that they measure the same thing. We still have to discover what are they actually measuring. Immune age, glycan age, uh, there are other tests. They all measure different things. So I think what is important is that for each of these tests, we look at research. So which research was actually done with that test? And what is it predicting? So if I do a glycan age, and if I know that this test is predicting heart attack or stroke, I know but good, that good glycanage will result in a lower risk of heart attack or stroke. Mm-hmm. And for example, it will not tell us anything about the risk of developing, um, I don't know, uh, breast cancer. Right. Because it's not predictive of a breast cancer. So I think before we learn much more about biology, and it will take decades for us to understand a little bit more of biology, we should uh, measure as much as we can and try to interpret the numbers in the context of hard science, which has been done for that specific test. And there will be more different tests. Unfortunately, there will be a lot of uh, marketing Mm-hmm. So like any, anything else, you know, you make decisions based on marketing and then not based on the real value. So if somebody wants to um, make a good decision, they have to do a little bit research to see what is actually doing what and what is just a marketing strategy. Because, for example, I always have fights with some commercial people because when we do a glycan age testing, we analyze each sample three times Mm -hmm. because we want to be as accurate as possible because none of the lab tests is perfect. Everything has a measurement error, but we cannot have a measurement error of a couple of years if we expect that intervention that people do will have effect of a couple of years because then our our age would move randomly a couple of years. And I know, for example, when I look at my glycan age, it never changes more than a year in, in a couple of months, unless there is something horrible going on. So I know that at least the, the measurement we do is accurate and I can focus on biology. 
if we would just measure every, everybody just once and say, okay, occasional people get the wrong number, yeah. we would be making three times more money. But okay. we are not doing this for money. We are doing this because we are trying to, at least I'm not, because I'm a scientist, I'm trying to um, understand biology. This is my drive. You know, I want to learn. I want to understand. And um, yeah, I don't know what I'm answering, actually. What was the question? <laughs> No, well, it was about it was about where the different tests and where they overlap. And I think your point is is really good one. That is that you have to take each test within the context of what it's actually measuring, and they're all going to give you different pieces of information. And you know, I think what I one of the things that is so attractive about the glycan age is that we understand many of the, and I mean not everything, but we know that improving, finding that right nutrition plan for you, finding the sweet spot on exercise, doing, you know, sleeping well, not more or less, whatever the case may be. Well, yeah. One thing we didn't talk about was if, if stress impacts glycan age, which we can talk it about. Does. It, does. it does. So stress managing, is a very important factor. Yeah. So these are all very modifiable lifestyle interventions. And then hormone balance is the fifth one, yeah. one way or another. Um, what's nice about it is that we know that these are things that can show you the results within a reasonable window of time. And that makes it useful. One more thing. It's always, you know, okay. Many people do a lot of research and they manage themselves, Mm -hmm. but for many people, it's important to have a professional counselor, somebody helping them to understand what each of the tests does and helping them how to make a right decisions. Because, you know, not everybody has time to read huge amount of papers. So it's very important to have a well-educated healthcare professionals who are actually knowing what they're doing. And we really have excellent experience with some of the clinics where people actually improve for decades in a couple of years. So it's... Mm -hmm. uh, I'm really kind of optimistic there will be more and more people actually benefiting from the test. And something what we are currently doing on the research end, we are trying to show that if you actually improve glycans, that you will decrease disease risk. So you're actually postponing or even preventing diseases because this is the key part. You know, it's not important to live forever, Mm -hmm. but it is important to live healthy as long as possible. Absolutely. Because the moment we lose health, we lose the quality of life and then things are not fun anymore. Yeah. No, I'm, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's the key right now. And I think that's the focus, right? The focus is health span over lifespan. We know we can keep people alive for a really long time. <laughs> yeah, on a machine. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> or, or in a wheelchair or whatever. But, you know, it's how you live that life that is really important. We were a little bit going to talk about COVID a tiny yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm and happy just, to talk about COVID. And, and I think what I, the reason why I want to talk about it is I brought it up before the podcast. And what I, what I think is really interesting is what you said about how, you know, the rate of aging increases immediately. And, and there's a predictability, which we should talk about as a, a bit as well, that's related to glycan age but they do recover. So we're just going to talk about COVID-19 quickly and I promise I will let you go. (laughs) Okay. So this is actually something what David Sinclair and I published in um, maybe April or May, 2020 as an editorial in aging saying that 
we know that age is the risk factor, but the biological age is the real risk factor. So not being old, but being metabolically old. Yeah. And this is something what we managed to demonstrate for glycans. Yes, people who have glycan age, they have higher risk of severe COVID than people who have lower glycan age, even when you correct for a chronological age. But interestingly, also, once when you get COVID, so if the COVID was mild or asymptomatic, there were no changes in glycan age. So if you didn't notice COVID, the glycan age didn't change. If you had severe COVID, or even in particular in people who died, Mm-hmm. Uh, glycan age changed for a decade in a couple of weeks. Wow. So it really your body responds to this acute inflammation which COVID is causing by making IgG more pro-inflammatory. And I think this was also contributing to the severity of disease because in COVID, the majority of the symptoms are not caused by the virus, but by the response of the immune system to the right. virus. So this, this pro-inflammatory drive, which was um, either caused by the virus or precipitated by the, the pre-existing condition that you were already pro-inflammatory and then the virus came in, it was an important factor. And we do a lot of research on that. We have thousands of samples of people with a severe, mild COVID, uh, different type of vaccination and so on. And there will be a lot of research and we will know much more in, in the years to come because, you know, research is slow. Mm-hmm. It, it takes time. You cannot do good research in a couple of months. And we have, I think it was over 200,000 papers which were published on COVID. And, you know, when somebody, when, when the scientific community publishes 200,000 paper, it's making a huge chaos. And then it's very hard to know what is real and what is not. Yeah, because it's, yeah, it's like a, it's like this rush to the gate, right? And you have to tease out the good from the bad and the, yeah, no, that's, that's a really interesting point. So, all right. So to close, I think that I am finally going to let you go. So to close, I think it's important just to remind people those, those five things that they can really do. Um, And I think what's important is that it's going to, those five things are things that we know not only are going to improve some marker called your glycan age or your biological age, whatever we want to call it, but it's actually going to improve your quality of life. Like you're going to feel better. You're going to live better. You're going to, you know, function better. So we, we all know these five magic things, Mm -hmm. which is uh, diet, exercise, sleep, stress. But the thing is, it's very (laughs) hormones in, in, in the city. Yeah. That's the fifth thing. And, um, but not all five of them are equally important for everybody. And it's very difficult to control everything. Mm-hmm. You, know, you cannot eat well and still have enough time to sleep and to exercise and not be under stress. Very few people are privileged to do yeah. something like, you know, you have to be a British queen to, be, to live like that and then you live forever like she does. And most of us, you know, we have to live in the real world and then we have to kind of um, trade off things. And, and, and the glycan age can help you identify things which are the most important. Right. So you try and change, for example, my glycan age is horrible. So when I learned that my glycan age is horrible, the first thing I decided to do, okay, I'm going to sweat it out. So I was hiking four to five hours in the mountains every day, whole summer. 
I was I lost at least 10 kilos. I was perfectly fit. I felt good. I didn't feel so good because my my legs were hurting all the time because I was hiking. My feet were hurting <laughs> and so on. But my glycogen energy didn't improve much mm-hmm. because I was overtraining. Yeah, too much of a good thing. Yeah, and then we trying different things. I realized for me, okay, it's primarily diet, but for somebody else, it could be stress. It could be sleep. You know, there, there is a person out there who would be way better just by sleeping one hour more per day mm-hmm. or taking care of this uh, sleep, sleep apnea. Yeah. Fixing yeah. that problem or just reducing stress. Yeah. Stress is a horrible driver of inflammation. So, Maybe, you know, when, when you learn which one is actually working for you, then you can maybe relax on the other two and, and still cope with that. Because, you know, no, nobody is going to fix everything. It's, 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 that's not realistic. So I think this is where is the value of this test, because maybe one day we'll be able to take a genetic test, which will tell us, you know, you have to eat this, this food and you have to sleep so much and then you're fine. But for the moment, genetics does not tell us that there's nobody who can interpret the genome in this way so what we can do we can try something and see whether it works yeah no i i I do and i do think that one of your comments you made earlier which was really good is getting getting outside guidance like someone who's not in in the situation like whether it's a coach or a practitioner or a doctor whoever it is even a friend can look at sometimes look at your lifestyle and go, well, dude, have you noticed that X, Y, and Z that we don't see because we're in it and doing it ourselves. So getting that other perspective on our lifestyle and helping us to change it is sometimes, you know, can be the key. And, and again, also not having to thinking you have to be perfect, but making those small incremental changes revisit your test, see what happened, and then pivot from there. So thank you for that. That was great. So yeah, one, one, one more, one more thing. Okay. Yeah, okay. Now I want to say one more Perfect. thing. Perfect. I'm in. And this is <laughs> important, important thing is, so some people get horrible glycan age and then they panic. Mm-hmm. That's a wrong uh, reaction because glycan age can change up to a decade before actually disease develops. So if you get a horrible glycan age, this means I got an early warning. Yeah. I, I can that. do something, I can fix it. Yeah. And there is still time. Yeah. Because unfortunately, especially for men, men usually start to think about the fir- about their health after the first heart attack or stroke. Absolutely. Then they decided to change. And then it's usually too late. Mm-hmm. Here you can get shocked a little bit by a horrible glycan age. But then there is still time to fix something before you get that heart attack. Thank you for that. Now I'm done. No, and now you know what? That's it's a it's a point that you can't make often enough, right? I think it's it's the it that is the crux of it. Is this is an advanced warning system, hopefully for for you, and you act on it and take the steps. So, Dr. Laus. How do people find a glycan age? We have a, actually we have a 15% discount code for people if they decide to do their glycan age. It's superhuman2020, but where would they go to do that? And you have a great website. There's so much great information there. It's glycanage.com. Yeah, keep it simple. <laughs> it's simple. And from there you can go everywhere or, or with some of the professionals who offer it. There are over 200 clinics globally. 
yeah. to use glyconage in their practice. Yeah, and I also want to mention that when you get your glyconage results, you're not left alone with them. You actually offer the services of different um, of different the, professionals, I think, to help so people the, to interpret and make changes. So consultation with the specialist is included in the test. So once you get the test, when you have a data, you have included, I think it's half an hour consultation, where you then you get directed to somebody who can then help you. Yeah, which was super helpful for me. I mean, you know, my glycanage was pretty good. But actually, you know what? Before we go, what's the lowest you've seen? How low can you go? Like a 20, I'm not going to go any lower than that. You will not go lower than that because 20 is the minimum that okay, you report. Good. <laughs> because what happens, actually kids, they have more pro-inflammatory IgG. So this 20 and between 80 and 20 years, this is the minimum of this inflammatory okay. IgG. And if you go lower in age, actually kids are more pro-inflammatory. So right. if we would tell you that you are 17, it's actually worse than 20. This is as good as it gets. You All cannot right. get. So now, now there's just the pressure to keep it. Anyway, thank you so much for but, your time. Yeah, tell me. Okay. One more thing? So, you know, if you move for a couple of years, it's not a problem. Just no. don't go in the 80s. No, no, I don't have no plans to. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay. Nice talking to you. And you. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly or if you'd like to leave any comments or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.